Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit Reloaded. I'm Sandra Patel, founder and CEO of Transition Partners. This season, I'm flying solo as I sit down with international leaders to discuss their leadership journeys and how they have embedded a thriving and positive culture. Welcome to our Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name is Sandra Patel and I'm delighted to be back recording here today in the Transition Partners headquarters. Currently we have, um, and I'm welcomed here today um, by Rachel Swan, who is the CEO at UMA. Hi Rachel, how are you? Hi Sandra, very well thanks. How are you? You okay? I'm good. good. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I just thought then, I meant to ask you before, have I pronounced the company name correctly? No, it's it's Uma, a bit like Thurman, Uma. so yeah, but it's right. fine, don't I worry. Thought that. I thought, is it Uma or yeah. UMA? Right. No, okay. Uma, it's absolutely fine, don't worry. I'll not make that mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Fantastic. Um, lovely to have you here today. I'm really looking forward to finding out more about your journey. And, um, you know, we've spoken previously and I was really impressed. Um, and I was really looking forward to finding out a little bit more detail and just sharing sharing it all with that with the community and our listeners and, and viewers. So it'd be great if initially we could just start with, um, you know, a really quick kind of whistle-stop tour of your background and kind of how you got to where you are, where you are today, because... Um, what I find really fascinating as well is that you, you, you didn't start out in tech and, and you had a long career outside of tech. Um, mm. So I think it'd be really good if we could touch on that as well. Yeah, how long you got? Because um, I'm, I'm getting <laughs> on a bit. So, yeah, um, so I've been in EMA since June last year, but I'm, I'm for 52, I think I said to you, for 52 years I've been told I'm the wrong age and gender. And all of a sudden I kind of tick the boxes. So I am that grey haired old woman in tech. I've only been in tech 20 years, but I did a, I grew up in South Wales and did a language degree and um, graduated into a session. And there'd always been an assumption um, that I would go into teaching, but not by my parents. It wasn't that at all. It was kind of by the institutions. And because because there was no kind of constructive career advice at the time, um, because it was assumed I'd go into teaching, I metaphorically set the fingers up at them and ended up doing a, doing a post-grad diploma, which was a master's by any other name, in export sales and marketing. So essentially it, it took language degrees and converted into something useful. Um, and, you know, as you do, and we're talking about that was in 93. Um, so I, I spoke a range of uh, European languages and went into British manufacturing. So for 10 years, I was literally export sales and marketing of British manufactured product, whether that was printing rollers, packaging, steel, lingerie. So I was export sales manager for Rigby and Pella, the, the manufacturers of that there, the bra makers to the queen, um, steel, you know, range of, range of different things. And the key thing there really is that um, it was always selling a solution because if you're selling a British manufactured product, it, the, so factory manufactured as well, you're never ever going to compete on price. You know, it's always got to be value and, and solution selling, consultative selling. And in the early 2000s, um, I was employee kind of number one stroke two in a startup that had got uh, been set up by three guys, um, which was using packaging to drive consumers offline to online, which I know now sounds completely bizarre. Can you imagine people not being online? But we were working with FMCG and we were running on-pack loyalty schemes, on-pack promotions. 
And we're doing everything from putting the unique proof of purchase on that packaging all the way through then to driving and managing these big online communities. So we were Andrex Puppy Points, we were um, McVitie's VIP Rewards, um, uh, Anchor Rewards Club, all this kind of thing. And that business, um, that, that was kind of where I really realised that these skills were completely transferable. So, OK, I wasn't necessarily using my languages all the time. But mm -hmm. it was still about that end user. So it's always about that end user. What's in it for them? That selling of a solution, that kind of commercial mutual benefit, which was kind of the real key. I will say you'll only ever make somebody buy something once. They won't ever buy it off you again if you buy, if you make them do it. But if you're giving them a solution, there's that mutual benefit, which is a, word, a phrase I ever use. But it was the same in export sales versus kind of online, moving people offline to online. And that's where I really got into tech. And particularly that B2B2C focus. So in that business, Hive Online, for in the end, I was there for about 11 or 12 years. And that business was affected by the Brexit vote. We'll move on. Ended up then in a couple of other, um, again, consumer engagement SaaS platforms. And in um, January 22, essentially made myself redundant from a an e-commerce online personalization business, which had been a real SaaS, true SaaS, whereas the other, the other businesses had been much more around a managed service. So you've got a proposition, again, always focusing on the B2B to C, so you get it right for the end user. Um, and I, I met quite a few people in the process of this um, uh, e-commerce personalization tool. Um, and, and that was essentially because the, business, the board had kind of decided they were quite happy for it to, to kind of survive and thrive rather than really grow. It was a, it was a bit of a kind of lifestyle business in the end. And I joined um, Uma in June 22, um, having been introduced to the business by our current investors. And the bit that really, really appealed to me was about this tech. It's a B2B proposition, but if you don't get it right for the, for the end user, and in our case, the end user is an employee, you're not going to get the really valuable part, which is actually the insight and the data for employers and managers. Yeah. Because essentially, UMA is a said employee soft, smart workspace management. It's around getting allowing employees to manage their own workspace from desk booking, room booking, this kind of thing. This isn't a pitch, but the so what is then you've got smart data, actual factually correct, accurate data that employers can then make use of for financially informed decisions. And that for me was the bit that I loved. So it was still adding value, solution, mutual benefit. Great SaaS product that has been, I always say we're small but perfectly formed. I'm not, but the business is. We're based in Halifax, West Yorkshire, not Halifax, Nova Scotia. You know, we are working with global partners. And, and you know what? Part of what I was doing, age 23, having graduated with languages, was thinking about that end user and that added value. And that's still what I'm doing 30 years on. 30 years, oh my goodness, 30 years <laughs> on. So it was a fairly circuitous route, all because yeah. I didn't want to go into teaching because nobody had said, Rach, do you fancy teaching? So there you go. Oh, fantastic. That's amazing. Um, and that's... Uh... You did very well there to give us a quick whistle stop. <laughs> it's as quick as it gets. You're like speeding up a little bit as you got yeah, close yeah. to the end. Um, amazing. I mean, that's really, really impressive. And I, I should imagine from, particularly from the industry that you started out in, mm. um, you know, sales exports, you know, for so many years as well, that you probably came up against a number of hurdles or obstacles, challenges to kind of progress and develop your career and move up up the career ladder so yeah. in obviously you know given your age your um gender be really interesting to talk about what um hurdles you did come up against and how you 
how you manage those, how you have overcame those and, and, you know, any kind of advice around that for other, um, you know, aspirational female leaders as well? Um, yeah, really interesting. I mean, with hindsight, I came up a whole load of a whole load of obstacles. And um, if I was told once when I was leaving a job, I was told on numerous occasions that we've not actually paid you market rate. All right. Well, why are you telling me that now? I think yeah. I think, yeah. Um, I think one of the things really was around expectation, but I, I um, always push myself because this sounds incredibly trite, push myself because I wanted to do the best job I could do. And it's probably only with hindsight a lot of the time I realised there were obstacles. I think um, as women of my generation, you're, you're kind of several generations younger than I am, mm-hmm. I think um, we had to do it and we just kind of got on with it. Um, and there have been some great people on the way who've helped, some, some men and women, you know, have, have really helped. I think one of the things that I didn't have very early on actually was a mentor. I think had I had a mentor or somebody who could have gone, what are you doing, that open questioning, that could have shaped things quite differently. I mean, I'm a firm believer you can't change what's happened, it's history. What you can do, what you're in control of is how you react and respond to things going forwards. Um, I, th- I think for me, though, the, the best kind of advice that I take or I, I ended up having very little confidence in terms of any of my transferable skills. And that was partly because I didn't reach out for help, but also because I wasn't necessarily getting it. But very firmly, mm-hmm. I wasn't reaching out for help because I've, I've got twin boys who are now 18 and um, my husband's a lot older than I am. I am the breadwinner and have been the whole time. I think um, having that ability to take a step back and look at something constructively and not come up with an immediate solution but really look at it trying to remove emotion is something that in many respects I could have should have done much earlier um the so what you know and I'm a big advocate of now saying well so what what's that mean what's what's in it for me what's in it for them you know um and that's both in a sales point of view but also a personal point of view I think the thing though the, the main thing is that in terms of advice it's it's never stop asking you know it was when I stopped asking um people because I felt I had to prove myself um when I kind of didn't ask that's when I didn't get and people made assumptions and their assumptions and perceptions were very different to my self perception um and you know and it was only when I started asking and partly that was potentially due to lack of appraisal this kind of thing self-appraisal and constructive you know um formulated appraisals in the workplace I think that's the type of thing that I've taken out and really try and use going forwards. You know, I have regular one-to-ones with with all of my team, whether direct reports, it's always ideally weekly, maybe fortnightly, and then indirect reports, I try and have them monthly. Now, as I said, we're small but perfectly formed. That's relatively easy to do. But it's having that opportunity for people to say, you know, I say to people, how do you think you're doing? And they'll say, how do you think I'm doing? That kind of thing. So about that constructive piece. But there's three, there's kind of three values, really, that um, I came to relatively, probably about 15 years ago, so probably halfway through my career to date. When I was looking for, um, I was looking to recruit some people for a business I was in at the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what are the key traits? And what are the traits that have served me well in, in the bits that I've really enjoyed and have really performed and what are the traits and characteristics that I'm looking that I've seen in people that are that have been successful you know in terms of their own career progression mm-hmm. and there's three and they all begin with C and one of them is curiosity and one of them is courage and one of them is coachability and so the curiosity is never stop asking questions yeah but they there's a com- there's a difference between an open question and a closed question so the how why what where when really that kind of thing the open questions there's no such thing 
in my view, or rarely such a thing as a stupid open question. Yeah, because and it's all about removing assumption. And if you ask and you have an adult style of asking it, then what's the worst that can happen? The, the um, courage is then having that bravery to be able to say, I don't know, what can I do? Keep asking those questions. Mm-hmm. And also to, to address the bits and go, yeah, you know what, I really don't know. That's both from a sales point of view, but also from a, um, a personal development point of view. I don't know where I'm going to be. I'm 52, coming at 53. Where am I going to be in five years' time? Who knows? Does it scare mm-hmm. me? It could do. Um, but the bits that are in my control are, again, asking those questions. And then the coachability goes back to the curiosity. I need to be coachable. I want to learn. I want somebody to kind of go, right, Rach, what do you think? Um, what's the next step? What are you going to do? How are we going to do it? But equally, we need to be able to coach our customers and our colleagues. So it's about saying, you know, asking them those open questions. And I found that it doesn't matter what your background if you've got those three things, then pretty much, I, I say to my boys, the world's your lobster, and they roll their eyes and go, mum, it's oyster. And I go, yeah, I know, but at least you're listening. Um, and, I, and I think, frankly, it doesn't matter what your background is. If you've got ideally all three of those traits, and I do find they're kind of, they're, they're interlinked, then you that willingness to learn means that actually if you're going into tech or you're going into I mean clearly there are certain industries and sectors where you have to have specialist training or education Mm. Um, but if you're going for example into tech it doesn't matter to a certain extent the the branch of tech but particularly in a commercial role or in a a business management role unless you're unless you're you're looking for that programmer as long as you've got those core skills the industry knowledge can be learned and that's kind of that's what I've learned along the way it doesn't matter if it's bras steel or um or tech consumer mm. consumer promotions if you've got those traits and actually the rest can be learned as long as you are also reminding yourself of it again another long-winded answer sorry <laughs> no i abs- absolutely agree and I, i'm 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 with you on that if you don't if you don't ask you don't get and mm. you know it's having that being curious enough and having the courage to be able to to do that rather than just kind of you know kind of cracking on thinking that you're doing the right thing or you, you know, yeah. doing your okay job and not actually knowing um so you yeah. sound like you're speaking from experience there yeah i've um I, you know and i think you referred to kind of our generations and things but you know i when I mean, i've started I've, I've always been in the same career in the same industry recruitment within tech um i've been doing it for 22 years now and um and it, and it was the same for me really for the good first probably 10 years um, you know, we didn't have things like PDPs and regular review meetings and, and things like that. And it was, you know, the the management and leadership styles were very, very different to, mm. to what they are um, now. And, you know, obviously there are still kind of those old school techniques used um, in some places. But um, I think the world's very much moved on now. And, mm. um, and it was kind of pretty much just crack on, get on with it. Um, but... Um, yeah, I was just always thought, you know what, I was eager to learn. I was eager to learn. I wanted to progress as quickly as I could. And I thought, well, mm. the only way to do that is ask. And if I don't get the right answers and I have to try and find out some other way, it's, you know. Exactly. And what's yeah. worse that will happen? You know, I mean, I remember, I remember. I always say, yeah. what is the worst? If you ask, what is the worst thing that's going to happen to yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and it's about having the, removing the emotions sometimes and looking at yeah. it that way. What's the worst could ha- that could happen? I mean, I remember in one business that, you know, there was constant pressure to bring the sales in. I remember somebody saying, if you don't bring those sales in, then essentially um, people won't be able to pay their mortgage. 
And that's the worst that could happen. But I was looking at when I was writing, we, we, we went through a restructuring process and mm-hmm. I had to write references for people who had been made redundant. And when I was looking at the references I was writing for them, all of which were glowing, um, it hadn't been my decision, looking at the, the references, thinking they've gone on to amazing jobs and look at the experience that we, and they've gone through this awful period and come out the other side really well. That was the worst that could happen. And, and frankly, they all were, were brilliant afterwards. And it was like, right, OK, we've been through some rough times. And you know what? We're all still here. So that's the worst that could happen. And that's actually, the I best might happen. But, you know, and that's how I think about the current climate at the minute as mm. well, if I'm, if I'm honest. You know, I've been through I've been through two recessions and COVID, um, you know, so I'm just like, well, what's the worst that can happen? This one, mm. um, absolutely. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a mindset thing as well, isn't it? Mm. Um, so on that note, actually, um, how would you... Um, how would you describe your? I think you've probably touched on this a little bit, so it might be it might be useful to talk a bit more about um, the current um, setup um, at UMA um, around leadership style. Um, you know how you kind of lead others and how um, yeah, a little bit about the, the business and the culture and environment there. Really, I think would be nice. Yeah, well, I'm I'm very fortunate. So I didn't create the business. I didn't found the business. I've got a great guy called Steve Milner who founded the business. Um, and it's um, we've got a couple of values and I'm, I'm not in the office today because otherwise if I were you'd see one of our values over my right shoulder which says don't be a dick <laughs> which is you know, know, yeah um, yeah um, but Steve Steve founded the business and you know one of one of the values is we we work hard we can work from anywhere but we work hard and it's about okay. accountability so it's um, Everybody is accountable for their own actions. But again, it's having that that responsibility, which is, OK, if something has gone wrong, we can't change that. What's in our control is how we address that going forwards. So that's very much. And that's from that's from Steve through down to our marketing assistant. Yeah. Um, I joined the business June last year and it was a conversation I was introduced to Steve by our investors um, and once our investor left the room, I actually said, Steve, I'm not really sure why I'm here. And he said, well, I hate being CEO. I said, God, I loved it at the previous job. And he said, that's why you're here. And that, I think, is absolutely symptomatic of the entire culture of the business, which is learn or understand and identify what you're good at and what you're not good at. Hold your hands up. Yeah. yeah. And that comes down to then thinking about trying to remove ego and thinking, hence the don't be a dick, but thinking about, you know, what's in it for the other person. So our big things about growth, you know, we are doing incredibly well. We've got some major wins. We are um, Cisco. Absolutely love us. But a few months ago or six weeks ago, we won Cisco mm-hmm. Fast Future Innovations Awards. We were um, one of the top three in their first situation in the UK, you know, wow. Cisco Global. We've got some other awards, which unfortunately I can't talk about yet, but you'll hear about it next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just won um, a massive contract with a, a huge public service organisation um, outside of the UK. I mean, you know, we've got some great stuff happening. And that's because everybody is um, knows their roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, we try and help each other out, but equally, there's a difference between accountability and responsibility. So it's it's living, which sounds a bit trite, but it's essentially, if um, you are accountable for, for example, a part in the sales process or the or the finances, or ultimately as a CEO, accountable for the performance, I can't do it all. And it's understanding and recognising I can't do it all. 
Steve is brilliant at the whole product and the, the strategy of the product and where we're going. And what we do on a really regular basis is I say, why are we doing that, Steve? Our route to market is X, Y, Z. Why are we doing that? What's the benefit in doing it that way and as opposed to doing it this way? And as a result, we've discovered a couple of additional routes to uh, go to market routes we want to explore. Um, we've also very dramatically shifted the positioning of the product, of the, the business. So 12 months ago, it was a business selling kit that had some software on it, you know, However, actually, it's the software, it's the SaaS that's amazing IP and it's really delivering the benefits. The hardware is an enabler, but not all our customers take the hardware because they're interested in the SaaS. So it's, it's allowed us to really think about things. And that culture is about that constant curiosity, that learning. You work hard, but, you know, you work hard in order for, a, a, to, for us all to get to a common goal, common objective. So it's about, you know, it, it's, it's not leading from the front, it's not leading from the middle. It's all about us all having accountability and having an adult um, attitude towards it, which is, look, we never say it's not my fault. If we've done something, own up to it. Don't be a dick. But we can't change that. What do we do going forwards? How do we address that? What are the processes? Look, we're, we're, we're a scaling startup. So, you know, some of the things are really innovative. You know, some of the things you're a bit like, oh, my goodness. So, you know, around some of our policies, they, they need updating, frankly. I mean, we're, we're legal, we're all fine, but they don't necessarily reflect the business that we're at at the minute. So I'm accountable for making them, making sure they're updated, but I'm certainly probably not going to be responsible for writing them because I know plenty of people who are better at that than, than yeah. I am. So it's then incumbent on me, though, to make sure they get they happen. So... Yeah, it's it's um, and having those adult conversations, which is, look, is this working with you? Is this working for you? Why not? Or something's not quite right here. Or actually, you know, that was really good. And we've had we've had one situation where we've got our amazing office manager and an ops manager, and she does customer success as well. Abby, you know, her confidence was um, not very high, and she's phenomenal. And she's her own worst critic. So challenging her constructively on that in terms of Abby, you've just said that. Tell me why you've just said that. And do you think this output justifies what you've just said or has come from this? Because actually this output, I think, is amazing. What do other people think? And she's gone, all right. And she's, a, she's completely transformed. And as a result, our internal processes have transformed as well. You know, the whole team is amazing. And, and there's a couple of others who've done similarly. But it's about having those, you know... Um, naming names dan and dean in particular um in our tech team have again kind of gone actually we've not necessarily worked in SaaS before but we know tech oh okay right we can see that so it's having that that courage to go i know what i know but i know what i don't know and therefore i'm going to i'm going to ask it all kind of interlinks yeah yeah fantastic um so some great great core values there absolutely love it um how do you handle um and i think this has become such a big thing and you'll have seen i've seen the shift um obviously you've been in the industry um longer than i have so i'm sure you've seen an even bigger shift and apologies i did not mean to highlight um, an age difference there. it's fine i did i started off by saying it so don't worry sandra it's fine um but the, yeah, work-life balance, you know, how do you, because obviously you've talked about work hard and, you know, you, you, you're a startup and, you know, you know, this early kind of infancy stage, you do, everyone has to roll the sleeves up, get the hands dirty and, um, you know, it's, it, it's a tough one to manage, isn't it? It's really tough to find that middle ground 
um, you know, so how, how do you think that should be seen across the board and how does that um, correlate to what, what you guys yeah. do? In there? Well, so we are, um, we, we existed before COVID came along. We'd got the idea and hybrid working existed before, um, before COVID came along. All, all, all COVID did. One of the side effects and outputs of COVID was expedited hybrid working. Now, frankly, I know of so few organisations that don't have hybrid policies if they can, if they can avoid it. And, you know, with a, with a number of, um, uh, qualified employees or, you know, resource being scarce, people have to implement hybrid working. Um, so that helps. I think in terms of the um, work-life balance, I have a real bugbear around work-life balance, right? I think if you're going to have, if you're going to have this as a phrase, worst case, it should be life-work balance. But actually, I think it's life balance. And I think it's life balance because work is an intrinsic part of the vast majority of people's life, right? So mm-hmm. life balance. So it's how do you, and, and with hybrid working and with the always-on, always-connected world, that life balance essentially means that work has a part to play. But as you said, because we're scaling, we're startup and we're scaling, then it might be that I actually have a thought at four in the morning because, you know, that's what time I wake up and going to go, oh, that doesn't mean I expect everybody else to be working at four in the morning. I might just be sending myself an email or something like that. But equally, if we've got, um, so uh, the vast majority of our team, um, our parents, um, I think there's only two that aren't minute, that aren't parents. And so actually, as long as the job is done, as long as there are clearly identified tasks and milestones and achievements that have been mutually agreed rather than imposed, right? Mm. As long as they're being done, then actually it's fine if you need to do the school run or you need to go and do, see the nativity. Or if you don't have children, if you want to, if you've got other things you want to be doing. Um, we've we've just introduced, um, you know, we are we are small. We're, we're starting, so pay rises. You know, cash flow is one of the biggest bugbears of any startup. Pay rises are challenging. What we have just introduced though is actually um, an extra day's leave for everybody to be spent volunteering. So, um, and the the only request we've said is that if is, can you just confirm that it is for volunteering and what you'll be doing? And it doesn't have to be a full day. It could be two half days or, or four quarter days if you wanted to, however you wanted to do it. Um, and I think it's recognising that in this always on world, we as an employer are going to be part of your life and your family's life. You know, whether you've got fur babies or, or kids or, or extended family or wherever you are. And then it goes back again to having that adult conversation if, about accountability and responsibility. If there is an expectation and you have committed to to carrying out or finishing, completing a task or a project, if you can't do it because um, other things are getting in the way, tell us and yeah. we'll work You know, jointly, we'll work through it. If those things are because you're not putting in enough time and you've previously done it, then we need to kind of understand that a bit more. Um, if it's because there's, um, you know, I don't know, grandparents are suddenly ill or, um, you know, whatever it is, we, we will do that. But the counter to that is if you've been is in, ensuring that that level of accountability is is there on all parties. And that's as much me as it is Steve, as it is everybody. So it should be life balance because work needs to fit in it because work has a very important part to play, not just remuneration. But in terms of in terms of, um, you know, progression, self-development, in terms of, um, you know, a purpose, I think it's, yeah, that's it, why it's it really important. Our, like you say, it supports our life outside of work. You spend most of your time 
whether it be physically in or working from home, you spend most yeah. of your time working, yeah. you know, the week in working. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, but it is part of life, isn't it? It's, it's an intrinsic part. It is, yeah. As is going to the shops, as is watching Netflix, as is, you know, these days, as is having a phone. And with the phone these days, and, you know, I don't know about you, but the, the you know, I know we communicate on email and, and um, video conferencing. But yeah. depending on, the, you know, your phone is always on. So it is, it can be an intrusive part of life. So let's make it about life balance and let's yeah. make it around those core values, not just company values, but your own individual values. But it's about communication. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, what um, I've got a couple of questions before we finish up. Um, so just this 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 one's a um, one that I'm just going to chuck in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about um, at the start. We were talking about um, you know if you don't ask, you don't get. And I think you mentioned um, you didn't have a mentor. Um, and mentoring again's become quite kind of I think probably over the last somewhere between five to ten years has become um you know much more of a thing mm. um how how do you think a mentor um can help um individuals and and have you had a mentor you know in the last sort of three to five years that that has helped you and what, what have you learned from that journey or experience um so how do I think they can help? I think acting as a safe sounding board, um, I think is a, you know, that kind of safe space to do that, to do that constructive self-challenge, constructive, you know, self-criticism, if you like. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think? And I actually, I actually do quite a bit of informal coaching and mentoring of, of a few other people. Oh, okay. um, all, all very ad hoc and all very, said all very informal. Um, yeah. In terms, I think, I think the other thing it does is, I think there's you mentoring people below, but I think there's also potentially mentoring people kind of above you in the traditional hierarchy. No matter how flat you, how flat you structure, there's always going to be a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And it's mentoring your peers and kind of above. Um, in terms of around that, keeping, keeping focus on the core values, so your purpose, why do you exist? Why does the business exist? What did you come for in the first place? Going back to the life balance piece, you know? Um, I think in terms of, um, I think modeling for, so I, I said, I've got twin boys who are 18. They think nothing about a, a gray haired old woman running a tech business. That's completely normal to them. That's, that's a visibility piece in yeah. terms of mentoring. Um, one of my sons wants to do computer science at university and, um, there's one girl in his class who's doing computer science and she is also yeah. going to be doing it at university. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's both really sad and really inspiring. I think it's really sad that in 2023 in a, in a large, you know, mixed, good comprehensive, there is still only one girl doing it in year mm -hmm. 13. However, the fact she wants to do it at university, I think is absolutely fantastic. And as far as my sons are concerned and their peer group, that's completely normal because they've seen me in it. Now she's got a tech background. She will be significantly higher flying than, than all the rest of us because she's, you know, programming already. Um, I think there's, um, so I, I think there's a visibility piece, which is you're always mentoring to a certain extent, even if you don't know. So about it's, it's behaving it's behaving in the best way you can and how you would want others to behave with you and about you. I think that's a, that's a form of mentoring that I think is really personal. Going back to that life balance piece, you know, don't do as I say, do as I do, ideally. Yeah. 
it's hard and you'll know as being a parent it's difficult um have I had a mentor um I, um not really uh, in terms of a formal piece and that's something that you know um that I've had a couple of I've had a couple of um really inspirational people that I've spoken to um so one of them was a lady called Sarah Brummett and I did some kind of training with her about 10 years ago and she talks about executive president but she was the per person who really helped me realize in terms of consultative selling and this this vocalization this um real kind of acknowledgement of everything I'd known in export sales around the end user, the value, what's in it for them, but articulating that in the open questions. And then there's been a couple of a couple of other people. But I, but I would say is I think currently, particularly in, in the West Yorkshire region, particularly in Leeds, and, and, you know, we're, as I said, we're based in the mighty Halifax, you know, land of Happy Valley, I call it the mighty mm. facts. Um, I think in this in this part of the world, there are a large number of really impressive, inspirational people. I mean, you know, like you and Becca, and there's there's Andrew Moore. There's um, yeah. loads of people in um, in invest, um, you know, in the investment community, and, and men as well as women. I mean, I've, there's lots of people that have kind of got this balance right, and and appear to have, in my view, and appear to also have this um, mentality around. Look, it's a part of what we do. So going back to that life balance piece, it's part of what we do and about helping each other. So um, Paul Mann, who's um, at Squire Patton Boggs, has been amazingly generous with with connections and contacts. And I've, I've reciprocated, hopefully. He's probably more value to me than mine or to him. You know, but it's, it's that kind of they're not mentors as such, but behave do unto others as you would be done unto. I think that's what my grandma used to say. So it's it's that around just being aware, being considerate and behaving how you would want others to behave with you, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, we've got a really great community in the north and, mm. um, yeah, there's a lot of... I mean, I, I, I'm similar to yourself. I haven't really had a, a mentor. Mm. Got a few people that I kind of speak to or go to for a bit of advice ad hoc mm. here and there. Mm. Um, but... Um, yeah. It's you know I think the main thing that Ivan and, and actually comes me onto comes brings me nicely put my teeth back here <laughs> um, nicely onto my final question um, because I think the main one of the main things for me personally and I'm not sure about for yourself um, where I found that you know using someone as a sounding board or, or you know just speaking to someone every now and then in my network um, on a peer level is dealing with imposter syndrome. Um, it's something that I've struggled with um, mm. for years, um, and 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 also as I've started to talk about it more openly over the last sort of two or three years, I've been by I've been surprised by how many more people do, and and people that you just really wouldn't think have any, um, yeah, just don't have any symptoms. Um, so I'd be really interested to find out what your thoughts are um, on this and yeah, and, if, and how you've managed it if you do suffer. Yeah. Or any advice to um, those that do. I think, I think at heart, 99.9% .9 of the population or the working population suffer from imposter syndrome, right? I think the ones that don't are the ones who lack emotional intelligence potentially. Um, and again, it goes back in, in a nice kind of full circle. So, you know, Steve, who set the business, I, I should say as well, actually, that Steve and Ian Brown, who's our investor at Finance Yorkshire from Manticus, they've all, they're also kind of mentors in that, um, goes back into this imposter syndrome, in that 
you know, it's about checking in with them. And it's not, I think this whole thing around assumption and, you know, assuming that we're, we're failing or we're not doing as well as we can do. If you then ask for that feedback without, without fishing, you know, it's about asking for that genuine feedback, that constructive feedback, but also, you know, um, just kind of saying to people, look, I, I'm, I'm not sure here, I've got this or this, what do you think? Um, so Pete Mills from Crisp is a great one at this, you know, you say to him, Pete, I'm not, I'm not really sure, I'm thinking this or this. And he, he turned around and said, well, you know what the answer is, Rach, you've already said it. I'm like, oh yeah, right, okay. Yeah. So, so that imposter syndrome, I think we all kind of have it, but I think, I think it's because um, the person who knows exactly what they're doing is potentially the person who's stopped being curious and has stopped learning. Um, and is, you know, we're talking about growing and, you know, do, does anybody get it right 100% of the time? I'm yet to meet anybody, although I don't tell my husband and sons because I'm always right. And even when I'm wrong, <laughs> I'm more right than they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, when I'm wrong, I'm more right than they are, you know. Um, and I think, I think it is that around that, um, it's, it's, having, it's having humility, really, um, and, and that self-awareness to go, actually, I'm feeling like I'm winging it because that's a huge thing. And kind of saying, I mean, clearly, what you don't want to be doing is in that really important meeting where you're about to land a sale, where you're about to sign a contract for investment, go, actually, you know what, I really don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Right? That's not the time to admit to imposter syndrome. But I can guarantee that the person on the other side of the table or on the other side of the, the camera will also be thinking, oh, I think, I think I've got this. Have I? Mm. I'm not really sure. And again, it's about building out those. I think if you understand what success means for that other person, Right, by asking them, it goes back to what's in it for them, what does success look like for them, then you'll realise actually your own success, you've probably already got it or you're probably on the way to it. So therefore, actually, yeah, you may be winging it for 10, 20 percent of it, but the other 70, 80 percent you've got nailed and there's opportunity to grow. So um, I think another long winded answer, but I think it's something that actually I think we've all got. If you haven't got it, I'd really question. And I think it's actually about using it then for the for the good, for the benefit, which is so what what can I do from this? How do I use this? You know, I mean, you're running a hugely successful tech business and have been for 20 odd years. I mean, that's amazing. You know, what do you have to have imposter syndrome about? You know, from my point of view. And, and so it's about going, actually, I think it's taking that that step, taking a, a I'm taking a step back and going, actually, where have we come from? What am I doing? Where am I going? Am I being true to my values? Am I being true to my goal, my purpose? What's in it for the other people? Am I, you know, what have I agreed to? Going back to accountability, what have I agreed to? What have I agreed to deliver? Am I going to be doing that? Is my integrity intact? Okay, what can I learn? So, so isn't it, it's um, sunflower syndrome, I think. I quite like sunflower. I think that's more positive than imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, so, no, I agree. So d definitely a more positive, yeah. nicer way of putting it, yeah, isn't it? So. Um, oh, fantastic. No, I really appreciate Um I've really enjoyed the conversation today. Likewise. Um, you have too. Um, thank you very much for your time today and for sharing all your valuable experience and, and learnings with us. Um, and for being really authentic as well, um, you know, being really kind of, um, you know, I'm very much of the same kind of, you know, on the same page and the same believers, just, you know, what you, what you see is what you get and just being really open, honest yeah. and transparent. Um, so I really appreciate that. 
if um if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch mm. um, with you, um, you know, how how's it best for them to reach out to you? So I'm on email as Rachel at R A C H E L at Askuma A S K U M A dot A I. I'm on LinkedIn. If you Google Rachel Swan, there'll be another one that appears, and she's the Chief Constable of Derbyshire. That's not me, <laughs> so I'm the other one. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I quite often get people who viewed my profile on, on LinkedIn and they're all in the police forces. I'm like, no, I think you're disappointed by oh, finding really? me. Oh, yeah. 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 I said she's chief kind of Derbyshire, you know. Um, so, yeah, LinkedIn or my my mobile. I'm happy to give that out. If you want, that's 07793846363, whatever. Or just Google Ask Uma, A-S-K-U-M-A. And that was a that was a stroke of genius, actually, just to tell that final bit which was, as you said, you know, I said, we're Uma. And when I joined the business, we were on page six or seven of Google, right? But we have this amazing domain because initially, um, when we first started, part of it was around voice activation. So ask Uma. So all I did was use the hashtag ask Uma. And we're now on page one of Google. You watch somebody will Google us now and we're not. But just by using <laughs> that hashtag, it was brilliant. So yeah, just find us on the website. I'd love, as you can tell, I'd love to talk to people. I like to ask questions. I'm really, really curious. So, but then I can talk as well. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. Likewise, Sandra. Thanks ever so much. I, I feel very flattered. Thank you. Oh, good. Thanks for listening to our latest Let's Talk Leadership, the Culture Edit Reloaded podcast. If you are a leader interested in being on the hot seat, contact me via LinkedIn. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Take care and see you all soon.